Now, if you would, please open in your Bibles to Acts 14. Acts chapter 14. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. As we come to Acts chapter 14 today, if you're new to Manoa Community Church, we are preaching verse by verse through the book of Acts in a series called Life on Mission. And I've entitled today's message, we're going to go verses 1 through 7 out of chapter 14 today, Grace Changes Everything. If you've been on our website, if you've seen some of our letterhead, this is the motto of Manoa Community Church. If you are here for the first week of Vision Tour, we talked about how we are grace-focused and grace-saturated, that grace shapes who we are. When the first seven verses of chapter 14 of Acts, we're told about the word of the Lord's grace and about Paul continuing in Barnabas to preach the gospel, the gospel of his grace. So that's going to shape the context of today's sermon as we look at the word of his grace and the gospel of his grace, and put that together, how it changes everything, how it changes this community that Paul and Barnabas go into, changes the people, and by the way, not only the people who hear the gospel, but the people who speak the gospel as well. Last week, we saw them leave Antioch. If you're watching that sermon or listening online or here in person, they left Pisidian Antioch. Persecution broke out after they preached the gospel inside a synagogue, probably outside the next week because such a large crowd had gathered. And so they shook the dust off of their feet when this persecution arose, traveled 90 miles southeast to Iconium, and that's where we will find them today. Now, Iconium is an ancient city. It's been around in this world since 3000 BC and beyond. I mean, since time immemorial, there has been a city in this area that was called Iconium back then. Today, it's also called Konya in Turkey. And it was a divided city as well. I went through many transitions of different kingdoms and empires, as all ancient cities do. So there was the Phrygian kingdom, and most of the locals thought of themselves as Phrygians, even though that kingdom was from eight centuries prior. Then there were the Persians who came through. Then the Greeks came through in around 333, and their empire lasted for about 200 years until it became a Roman empire our Roman outpost, which is what it is as we read today. And yet you'll see the Greeks mentioned in here because one historical fun fact about this, even though it was Roman, the Phrygians and the Greeks very much prided their own ethnic identity and they were very reluctant to take on Roman or Latin identity. And so we come into this divided city where there's now also a Jewish outpost. There's a Jewish synagogue as well. And if you think Paul and Barnabas are licking their wounds and looking for somewhere safe to hide out, you would be wrong. Because they're going at business as usual. They've gone 90 miles and right back to the synagogue. Business as usual. And so here they go, fleeing from one persecution. And we'll see out of the the one persecution and into another as it so goes in this story as well. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7 in its entirety. Pray for us, and then we'll drop into the main points of grace changes everything. So follow along, starting in verse 1 of chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they, Barnabas and Paul, entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, that's the non-Jews, the other nationalities or nations, and poisoned their mind against the brothers. 
So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to, look at this, the word of his grace. There it is. Grace changes everything, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, referring to the unbelieving Jews, and some with the apostles, apostles Barnabas and Paul. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, that is to kill them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Grace changes everything. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for the word of your grace. Lord, we thank you how it unites us, but also, Lord, we notice here how it divides as well. And so, Lord, as we think about the transformation that happens through your grace, Lord, we pray first for ourselves, that we would be changed by grace. Lord, and we pray that the word of your grace, the gospel of grace would go through us to bring transformation to cities in our own day. Lord, to bring transformation to Havertown, to greater Philadelphia, and to the ends of the earth. Make us messengers of your grace, to preach your grace, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifices we see modeled in this section of scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace changes everything. I want to draw your attention one more time to verse 3, where they are preaching the word of his grace. Do you see that? Say yes. It's the word of his grace. They were not preaching themselves. They were not preaching uh, just random Bible texts. They were preaching the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says boldly for the Lord. Whenever your Bible says the Lord in the New Testament, it's referring to the Lord Jesus who bore witness to the word of his grace. In verse 7, they continued to preach the gospel, namely the gospel of his grace. And so as we unpack these seven brief verses today, I want to show you how the word of his grace, how the gospel of the Lord's grace brings transformation not only to this region, but to all of our lives. And the first area I want to show you in verse one is not first about the audience that is saved, though that's incredible. We'll see that impact under this point, but how the gospel of his grace brings transformation, we'll talk about, to our mouths, to our minds, and to our hearts. So if you're taking notes, the first point is the gospel of the Lord's grace. First, it changes our minds. So it changes everything about us. First, it changes, excuse me, our mouths. It changes our mouths. It changes the way that we speak. When you read this verse, you say, well, how do you get this, Stefan? They entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and look at this, spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, the audience is the thing that we ultimately land on, right? The Jews and the Greeks, the, the congregation, if you will, in this sermon that Paul brought, they hear the message, and on the first hearing, on the first time the word of his grace came to them, they believed, they believed in Jesus after one hit. And by the way, the gospel wasn't all over the world at this time. The first time they heard it, they said, I believe that. What these guys are saying, that's right. That's true. I believe it. But inspired by the Spirit, Luke, who authored this, wants to draw our attention not only to the recipients of God's grace, 
but the distributors of God's grace, namely Paul and Barnabas. And the thing that jumped out at me as I was studying this passage is they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Greeks and Jews believed. It wasn't simply what they spoke that was persuasive, though I'm sure it was on its own. It was also the way that they spoke that impacted them. Other translations have this in such a manner, NAS says it, NLT says with such power that they believe that the speakers themselves were recipients of God's grace and they communicated the truths of the gospel, but it wasn't simply facts that you just lay out on the table, a gospel track that you throw in someone's lap and run away, <laughs> you know, the gospel grenade approach, like, hope it worked. No, they went in there and they spoke boldly, they clearly, and in such a way that it landed on people's heads and in their hearts. Because the reality is, most people, if they're really being honest with themselves, they believe things both because it's intellectually satisfying, meaning I've cognitively believed this is true, but there's another emotive side, the side of the will, the side of the heart that says, do I want to believe what you say? Do I want to become like you, the speaker? Right? Like, and I'm, again, it's not about me, but when we speak in such a way that we betray what we're saying, does that make sense? There's an incongruity there where you say, even if that is true, I don't want to become like you and I don't want to believe what you're believing. I don't want to become who you're becoming. But here they go in and on the first foul swoop, there's such an alignment in what they said and the way that they said it that everybody saw that and it landed by the power of the Holy Spirit in their heads and their hearts and they said, yes, that's true. That is 100% true. And we see the convergence of God's grace both in the recipient, God granting the faith to believe, but also the communicator whose mouth has been converted by the grace of God. We think about how grace transforms all of us, and that's why I'm going to talk about our, our mouths and our minds, because we'll see minds in a moment, and then our hearts. God is interested in saving all of you. He wants to change the way you feel, the way you think, and the way that you speak. Not only what you say, but the way that you say it. And this has application, brothers and sisters, not just to preachers on Sunday morning or evangelists going across the world. This has application in our marriages, in our parenting, in the way that we relate to our coworkers, especially in Jesus' name, but all other times. Because let's be clear, the moment that you're pegged a believer or a Christian, people are now watching. Not just what you say, the way that you say it. And there's a persuasiveness that we see inspired by the Spirit. And this pastor said, the way that they spoke landed. And this is not to say that we're perfect, <laughs> that we'll always say things the right way. Sometimes we'll say things that foible the wrong way. But there's a transformation. I mean, Paul, who he was beforehand, he was out using his lips to tear down Christianity. And now the persuasion of his head and his heart has landed in such a way that, I mean, let's be clear, people can read you, Right? Most of communication isn't simply what we say. If it's your wife's birthday and you throw flowers and say, love you, you know, on her lap, didn't land, right? She's reading you, husbands. She's looking at your eyes. 
the tone of your voice, the way that you speak. And the whole world operates that way. And so we see a transformation occur, and I want to really hit heavily the power of your words and the way that you use them. Because we'll say things at times, I didn't really mean that, or we'll say things that really hurt people. Oh, they're just words. Words are powerful, and the way we speak them matters. Proverbs 12, verse 18, a wisdom literature, put it up on the screen for you, talks about how there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So under this point, here's what I want you to see is Paul and Barnabas knew that they were agents of healing in the world. We can go around and use our tongues to slash. And by the way, the Bible, the word of God is a double-edged sword. So sometimes we'll, we'll come out and just come slashing and, you know, and justify that. But here in the Proverbs, what it's saying is people can even tell if you're using your wounds, your wounds, using your words to inflict harm or to heal. So even the double-edged sword that we bring with the word of God, if people read in us that we're getting some sort of delight in tearing them down, then the sword isn't being used properly. The sword is used to heal and expose hypocrisy, typically within the church, in the ministry of Jesus and John the Baptist, by the way. We're, there's, there's correction for the world as well, but let's focus on healing within our own body, bringing ourselves and speaking truth to one another, the way we speak, and then to others outside so that when we speak about Jesus, people read our lips, but they also see our hearts and that we're for them and that we want to see God heal them. This original audience in one sermon, they said, not only is this guy speaking truth to me, it is true. I believe it, not just because of what he said, but the way that he said it. He spoke in such a way, such a manner, with such great power that many believed. God converts and saves not only our souls, as glorious as that is. He saves all of us. He changes everything. He changes our mouths. Secondly, the gospel of the Lord's grace not only changes our mouths, what and how we say it, what we say, why, but changes our minds. The gospel changes our minds. The Lord's grace changes our minds. I'm going to reread verses 2 and 3 again. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, and listen to this, and poisoned their minds. Poisoned their minds against the brothers. That's against the church, against the faith. Listen to verse 3 now. Circle the word so. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So follow the logic here. You ready? A lot of people come to believe, but there's others who are undecided, right? And so the unbelievers, the unbelieving Jews, they, they go on a campaign. They go on a, an agenda, if you will. They go on a, a smear, smear campaign with propaganda against the brothers, against the church, against the faith. And what is the word inspired by the Holy Spirit that Luke uses here? He says that they poisoned their minds. That their minds were poisoned. Actually, the word for mind there is sukos or suke, which is the word for soul. It's like 
they, in, they injected them with poison that clouded their thinking, that clouded their feeling. They, they, their minds were darkened even further than we already are in our sin. Their minds are poisoned at this point. So, do you see the logic that follows? So what happens? When our minds are poisoned, Paul doesn't say, ah, no, you know, time to shake off the dust again and get rowing. We already got a few converts, let's go. It doesn't say that. It says, hmm, poisoned minds, we got to stay a lot longer. Do you see that? So they remained for a long time. Could have been a short time. Now we got poisoned minds, going to be a long time. And they continue to preach the word of his grace, speaking boldly for the Lord. They're speaking the word of his grace who bore witness to the word of his grace as well with signs and wonders. Miracles corresponded the speaking of the word of grace. But the so is put in there and it's inspired by the spirit to put a logic between the verse that proceeds and follows. Do you understand? So the poisoning of the mind so that the word of his grace has to be preached even longer and miracles are done. Why? As the antidote to the poisoned minds. Right? Because the word of his grace is the cure for a poisoned mind. Are you following me? Say yes. Thank you. So the poisoned minds, what it says, our poisoned souls, what is the cure for a poisoned mind? What changes a darkened mind? If a mind is completely off of base, believing falsehood, not the truth, what will turn that around? The word of his grace, the gospel. Grace changes everything. I'm so thankful our Bible doesn't say this region had a bunch of poisoned minds so they went off to some easier ground to work on, right? That they were already biased against Christianity in the church, so why even bother? No. Because their minds were poisoned, they had to work all the harder to undo that to bring the cure. You see the compassion of Barnabas and Paul to persevere both in word and deed and hallelujah, miracles corresponding with it where all of these things were done by the grace of God to undo this darkening, to undo this poisoning, to set people's souls free. The gospel of the Lord's grace changes our minds, certainly the evangelist first and foremost, but the recipient as well because clearly implied those who come to Christ, have their minds healed. You know, we're all aware of the dangers of toxic things getting into our minds and into our bodies. I'm obviously staring at a bunch of masks right now, and thank you for wearing your masks, because we're aware that we don't want to get COVID-19 or other things to infiltrate into us, so that's our defensive plan. It's also offensively protecting our neighbors, and then we're thankful, as Ron prayed for a vaccine, right? That this vaccine is one more offensive move. So we got our, our defense and our offense, right? And the word of his grace, as we think about our faith, church, we need to have a good defense and an offense for our minds, for our souls. Because there's far more than a smear campaign just by one little group. Now, there's a historical thing happening here, but let's broaden the discussion for a moment. There's all sorts of things in this world that will poison your mind. Would you agree with that? Say yes. You could turn on the TV and just choose your poison, right? Just click, 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 and it's not getting any better. Just talk to a bunch of people who hate the Lord or hate God or have a, a, an agenda against Jesus. You just sit under that for a while and it gets into your soul. Now, 
there's some legitimate critique against the church where we're wrong or we sin and we shouldn't block that. We should hear that with our ears wide open if we need to be rebuked for real sin. What I'm talking about here, though, is worldly way of thinking that will creep into our souls, creep into our minds, creep into our pulpits, creep into this place and poison us against the gospel, against grace. It'll inoculate us, if you will, let's use the medical language, against the truth. What is the antidote to that? It's the same antidote that we see here in Acts 14. The word of his grace will heal your mind. It will heal your soul. And I'm so thankful that when we become Christians, we become new creations. There's a darkness to light. There's a death to life. But there's a parallel experience where that still works its way out in our lives called sanctification, where we're becoming progressively holy in our thinking and acting. And the solution to that, according to the Bible, once again, is the word of his grace. I want to put Romans chapter 12, verse 2 up here. Do not be conformed to this world, that's worldliness, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we all come to church. We all read our Bibles with a certain level of toxins in our thinking, if you will. And the only antidote to that is to let the word of God transform and renew us day by day by day. It's one, amen. It's one of the reasons why you, you need church. I was just saying Manoa Community Church, wherever you land, you need to sit under the word being spoken over you because I'll tell you what, you turn on the television and you got preachers preaching at you the rest of the week, right? Not a lot of people just open your Bibles to on, you know, on any of the channels, conservative or progressive or liberal or anywhere, they're just not bringing you the word. And I'm so thankful for all the books we can read, but the fact that many of you are doing this Bible reading plan every morning. Why? I need my mind renewed. Do you need your mind renewed? Yes. We need our minds renewed. And praise the Lord that God, again, he doesn't simply save our souls rip us up to heaven and have no interest in what happens here on this side of eternity. No, we certainly are going to heaven, but he changes our mouths, what we say and how we say it. And he changes our mind. He changes our thinking. He is the antidote. His word is the cure today. His word is the cure to change your mind. So the gospel of the Lord's grace, it changes our mouths, it changes our minds. And thirdly and finally, changes our hearts. I'll reread verses four to seven again. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. The Jews here referring to the unbelieving Jews mentioned earlier. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe cities of Lycaonia, into the surrounding country. We'll hit that next week. And there they continued to preach the gospel. The gospel of the Lord's grace changes our hearts. Now you might read this and say, well, where'd you get that, Stephen? I see the mouths, how they spoke. I see that their minds were poisoned, the cure here. 
Here's what you have to see is going on in verses 4 through 7. I shared earlier that this region was a divided region. This city was a divided city. Do you remember that? That we had people who considered themselves Phrygians, Greeks. We had the Latins, the Romans. We had the Jewish people in the synagogue. There is a resorting of humanity happening at the city, and I hope you caught it. That all of a sudden, the gospel both unites humanity, it creates a new humanity, if you will, and then it also divides humanity. But by the way, it's not as though humanity was kumbaya all together in the city and all of a sudden the gospel came and split it apart like, oh man, we would all be able to get along together so well if Jesus hadn't shown up, right? No, they were already in their own lanes, staying separate, never relating to one another across those lines, except I guess on areas of mutual interest. But otherwise... I consider myself Phrygian, and I know that this place speaks uh, Latin now, but I've been speaking Greek, and my parents spoke Greek, and I don't relate to Latin. That's how this region, for thousands of years, just everybody's staying in their lane, and all of a sudden, these guys come with a new message, and Jews and Gentiles start to come together and align themselves with the apostles. I want to be clear that that's Barnabas and Paul, but really, they're not aligning with Barnabas and Paul. They're aligning with Jesus at that point. And the others who say they aligned with the Jews, let's be clear, that's not just every and all Jewish person because there's people already aligned saying, I, I believe in Jesus over on this side. But the unbelieving Jews who are trying to discredit this message. And we're told there, the word there is used unbelieving. If you go back up to verse two, do you see that the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles? That's the non-Jews. The Greek word there for unbelieving is actually disobedience. The Jews who disobeyed stirred them up, which adds a moral component to belief. It's not simply that there's a group of people that cognitively disagree. I mean, this was a message for the church, meaning for Israel first, right? And the message came to them to save them. The Jewish Savior came, and they disobeyed it, and now they're helping other people disobey and stop believing as well. So we have this side of belief and obedience over here or disobedience and disbelief over here. And the city is divided along sides of belief and disbelief, the area of obedience and disobedience. But the beautiful thing that's happening right here, and this is why I say the gospel changes our hearts, is because in our fallen, natural, fleshly state, we don't align in this world over here. We stay in those lanes. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. We regard no one according to the flesh anymore. Do you remember when Paul wrote that in 2 Corinthians 5? From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't judge by outward appearance anymore. We don't look at your ethnic background. We don't look at what different linguist or language group you came out of. We don't look at those lanes anymore. Why? Because if anyone's a new, in Christ, he's a new creation. The old way, that old way is gone. The new has come, that God is creating a new humanity so that Jesus, when he came, he said, yes, I will divide. Father, mother, brother, so there will be a division. But it's not ultimately to divide humanity, but it's because our loyalty has shifted. Our loyalty is not around being a Phrygian anymore. Our loyalty is not around being German. My ancestors were German anymore, or African 
anymore. Our loyalty is not first and foremost bound up in those things. The gospel now makes us new and creates a new humanity where our heart now shifts and it unites us into this new community so that we stand with Jesus. We stand for Jesus and we link arms with anyone and everyone from every nation, even outside of the United States of America. From every nation, every tribe, every tongue, that's what you see happening in this city. And that is radical. That is completely new. That's not how tribes and tribalism work. All of a sudden, there is a new tribe being formed that represents all of the tribes around belief and obedience to Jesus. Here in this ancient city, this divided city, we see Paul and Barnabas leave, and it's divided. But it's divided in a way it's never been divided before and never will change going forward. The gospel is now reunited, pulled together people who otherwise, in their hearts, would never have anything to do with one another. So that's what we see here, a city divided, but also a city united all around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace changes everything. I remember when I first went to Drexel University and ran into Chinese people who believed in Jesus. I think I've shared this before. I was like, holy smokes. I thought all Chinese people were Buddhists. <laughs> and they, no, I grew up in a Chinese church. <laughs> I ran into Indian friends and they believed in Jesus. I said, you guys believe in Jesus? Like, I had all these caricatures of different tribes and what they should or who they were. And what I found and continue to find in the body of Christ, even as we go to the nations, is we are one global family. We are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the gospel changes everything. It changes how and what we speak. It changes how we think. And it changes our hearts so that the old is gone, the new has come. And we are now aligned and loyal to King Jesus, regardless of where we came from. Where we're going is the same place. We're going to the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going there together. Grace changes everything. Let's pray. Church, please stand. If you're listening to this message and you haven't received God's grace into your life, before you're a messenger of grace, you must first become a recipient, a receiver of it. And I pray as the gospel was preached that you hear this clearly, that Jesus died for you. Grace is all about what he's done for you, not what you do for him. That he rose from the dead for you. And that through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have all of your sins pardoned. And you could become part of this new humanity. And that God wants to not only pardon your sin, as beautiful as that is, but to change you, change your heart, change what you feel, change your mind, change how you think, and to change how you speak. That there's hope for all of us and there's salvation for all of us, that there's redemption for all of you. And the way that you do that is through faith, through believing, through obedience, as was described in this text. Simply say this, say, Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. And I turn from my old way of thinking and I ask God, just as I saw in this text today that faith would come to me 
that I would believe today, that you would pardon my sin today, that you change my heart and my mind today. Give me the antidote. Give me the cure to a poisoned mind. Come into my life and heal me, I ask. In Jesus' name. And for the church, God, we thank you that your grace has come to us. And Lord, we pray that your grace would pervade every part of our body and our souls, Lord. Where our thinking is off, Lord, renew our minds. Where what we say is correct, but the way that we say it is off, Lord. Change not only what we say, but how we say it and the way that we say it. That it will align with grace. And Lord, where we find our loyalties off basis, help recenter us on the church of Christ and under the allegiance of the Lord Jesus. Lord, that the, the divisions that are real in the world would be divided along faith and unbelief, Lord, and that there would be no other divisions in any other places in your church. And Lord, may we be part of the healing that we long for in our nation and in the church today in this realm. Change us, God. Renew us. Transform us by your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.